Who am I? Why am I here? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I shall not seek and I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Tear down this wall. And the wall just got 10 feet taller. We're going to California and Texas and New York. We're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. From the second floor of the AC building at Bethel University, this is Election Shock Therapy. Guys, we're here. And we're, and we're matchy matchy. <laughs> I wish you could. I wish this was. A, I wish this was on YouTube right now, friends. We do uh, wish that. If you were here with us uh, <laughs> in Arden Hills, Minnesota, at, the, at Bethel University, you would see three political scientists um, in nearly identical outfits. Uh, I should say we do not coordinate. Our we entire, really don't plan this. This, this suggests the the limits of our sartorial range. Yes, it does. Uh, all of us are wearing blue jeans. And some type of red striped or checked shirt. Yes, I, I think I think it might. You know, somebody recently moved to the area. I think it also might reflect the the range of of the state in some ways because we're all, it's all sort of platy. Shots and fired. So, yeah. So well, I mean, it's not, not not necessarily in a bad way. It's just it's just say it's just to say that you it's know true. the state here yeah. you know lends itself yeah. to sort of being the lumberjack outdoor yep. Yep. sort of style. Yep. And I've even sort of bought into that a little bit. I, I find myself you know Clearly. tending towards the, yeah I tend towards the plaid shirts a little bit more, and um, I just find that that's that's that, that seems to be more the style here. It is very tune with the Minnesotan ethos. Guys, we look like the world's worst boy band. We do. That's true. We would, we would be a very bad boy <laughs> band. I, I, or, maybe, or, maybe, or maybe an even worse uh, bluegrass band. No, actually, we're okay. We're, we're, we're a slightly beardless bluegrass yeah. band. Andy's got a beard. Mitch has got some like, scruff. I feel I like I could do bluegrass better than boy band. We still don't have enough beard for <laughs> a bluegrass band. <laughs> um... We need we need one more guy in a bread check shirt to start our barber sh- our political science barbershop quartet. <laughs> yes, we do. Uh, yeah. And Fred Van Geese is in class, so maybe yes, Fred, Fred is in class. And Sam and is, of course, in a meeting. Sam's so. in a meeting, so he's he so can't sing know. along with us. Uh, uh, Andy, what part would you sing in a barbershop quartet? Um, probably baritone. That just seems like the residual part. Like I'm not a good enough singer to do any of the really. Major part. You just you're just there as the looker. You're the cutie. I'm Is cutie. That, the... that that's <laughs> that works for me. Okay, I'll go right. you're, you're Paul sure. in this band. Oh. Um, sure. Although we're now pushing the edge of my knowledge of whatever you're talking about. <laughs> the Beatles, man. The Beatles. Oh, that Paul. Okay, yeah. Sure, I can be Paul. All right. Yeah, uh, Mitch, cool what are you that. singing in the barbershop quartet? Oh, I'm probably tenor. That's that's what I. Oh yeah, you're the, he's the lead yeah. man. He's the lead yeah, man. Yeah. No, Mitch can oh, totally yeah. do tenor. Um, and if we assume that Professor Van Geese clearly sings bass, and that's just that just makes sense in all kinds of ways. It does. Um, that, what does that leave? So baritone, tenor, and bass. What am I? I forget. What am I leaving out here, guys? Lead. Do you usually add an, uh, like a like another baritone? I don't know how a barbershop you, quartet works actually. Isn't, lead, I mean, isn't there a lead usually? Like a, a lead singer? Oh, I'm not the lead. That's a, that's that's no, a terrible like idea. That. That's a terrible idea. Well, you but, but I mean, well, if, but if lead is about like the personality more than yeah, the true. actual singing, oh, well, thank you. Then that's yeah, you. Yeah. I mean, like you are the department extrovert. I, so. I'm good for like two or three dad jokes in between songs. Exactly. Yeah, can, there we go. Sure. And you just sort of like you you be up front, being you, being full of personality. And Mitch is back there carrying the actual. Music that's band. true. Actually, he's the actual. He's the, actual, he's the, he's the I torture. Think this could actually work. He's the tortured yeah, muse that's actually making the thing, the, the, the music work. Yeah, yeah. Fred and I are doing something. We're not sure what we're doing. We're do you doing guys, something. Do you guys? This isn't even close to what we had planned to talk about. But do you guys like movies about bands? Does that intrigue you? Do you find that kind of no, fascinating? No. 
In fact, I'm like, literally trying to think of a like movie. almost famous. Like what have I watched? Would I watch any movie or about a band? The Doors, or um, even like that that thing you do, like yeah, a that, movie that, about like getting a band. Together. Like honestly, not only do I not have I not watched these movies, I'm not even sure what you're talking about. Yeah. Right oh jeez! No, I, I, I do have to remind you, I missed the '80s and '90s, so maybe that's the problem. Well, this was the aughts. So. <laughs> Okay. So, well, I, I miss those kind of things in the odds. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. No, I mean, I've seen that thing you do. It's it's only okay. All right. And I, I can't. I'm trying to think. I'm, I'm with Andy. I'm trying to think of other. I mean, I'm very into music. I've seen lots of musicals. Um, yeah. Which I guess in that sense is is, is often. I watch music. Have you seen a think Music Man? Have you seen a Mighty <laughs> yeah. Wind? I've done that. I'm oh, sorry. Have you seen a Mighty Wind? No. Uh, no, I don't think so. See, we actually might be like uh, extras on a Mighty Wind right now. A Mighty Wind is a mm-hmm. David Guest movie. It's it's sort of it's very satirical, and it's it's about the folk music industry. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, all right, we should uh, we should actually talk, talk politics? about politics. Politics. <laughs> uh, uh, Andy, you're the one who broke the glass and pulled the alarm on this podcast. You know, yesterday, saying, "I'm catching up this weekend's news, and we have got to meet." Yes. <laughs> so. Um, did, did you catch up on this this week's news when you're checking the scores in your fantasy football team? Maybe <laughs> so there's a new stat: <laughs> uh, kneeling, no kneeling, <laughs> linking arms, not mm. linking arms, in the locker room, out of the locker room. Uh, most importantly, of anything your football player did this weekend, sure. what did they do during the national anthem? That's right. What's their Donald Trump score? Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> From huge uh, to loser. That's yeah, the I was hap- like I was happily out of it this weekend. Um, Good for I was you. Offline, <laughs> I wasn't. We don't get a newspaper, so I mean, I catch up with news on Monday morning. I didn't really realize that all this had happened until you came in. I was actually doing my emails first before I got on the news, and Chris came in and told me that there stuff had happened. I was like, oh, and yeah, definitely lots of stuff. Yeah. The intersection of um, sports and politics yeah. is kind of a sweet spot for me. Well, and it's <laughs> and it's definitely a, a high moment for that. I mean, you know, because we have a president who seems. More than usually interested. I mean, Barack Obama was famously, you know, a, a White Sox fan, and he got he got excited about you know sports. But Barack Obama filled but, out his NCAA tournament bracket on national TV. It was, it was like an event. That's true. He did. But even there, I mean, like they didn't feel like sports became such a central issue in the way that it has been in the last. It week was or an so. affectation. So yeah, yeah, it was a you know it was a side thing. Yeah. And now it doesn't feel like a side thing. It feels like you know what is the president focused on? NFL players or North Korea? Um, and the answer seems more like the former, right? So, uh, which is interesting. Well, let's run down the story here, and I'm I'm sure I'm going to miss a few details, but I want to go get, for it. Uh, the relevant facts on the ground here. Um, by the way, can I just? Can I, uh, we've never done this before. Can I give a quick shout out? Mm-hmm. I found out my former pastor Mike Beasley, who's a chaplain in the U.S. military, uh, listens to our podcast in London, oh. England. So, hi, Mike. Hi, Pastor Mike. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, I have a former pastor named Mike too. Interestingly, but anyway, just gonna throw that out there. Is do, it's do not you, the same. Do, do you want to throw a shout out? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know if he listens to our podcast or not. But hey, other Mike. <laughs> um, all right, so here, here's the deal. Here's what happened um, over the last uh, week or so. Um, President Trump had two initially unrelated but increasingly uh, confluent uh, dust ups with professional athletes. Thank you. Okay. Uh, the, the it is a tradition mm-hmm. that the White House welcomes. Hold on, hold no, on. Not that he had dust ups. <laughs> well, okay. Well, that's also a tradition. Um, but it's a tradition across multiple presidents yes. that the White House welcomes championship uh, professional sports teams to visit them. Everything mm-hmm. from uh, Olympic teams to uh, um, football to to uh, basketball to baseball you, you name it um, uh, if a team mm-hmm. is is mm-hmm. victorious they often visit the White House right. college teams pro teams 
Apparently the Golden State Warriors, which has been a team in the past known for being a little bit more uh, outspoken in terms of social activism. Mm -hmm. Steve Kerr, their coach, has been notoriously critical of Donald Trump and some of his policies on things like immigration. Mm -hmm. um, We're clearly waffling, if not outright deciding quietly not to go to the White House, to not meet with this president despite their their NBA championship. Donald Trump, whose White House had previously extended the invitation, tweeted, because of course... He tweeted That's what he does. Um, that if Steph Curry didn't want to come to the White House, which was a big honor, then fine. Uh, invitation rescinded, I think mm-hmm. was the phrase he used. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you don't want to come here, fine. I don't want you to come here. You don't want to go on a date with me? Fine. Yeah. You can't date me. <laughs> um, which would normally be a, a fairly big news story of a week, but this is mm-hmm. sort of fits with a theme. Right. This caused uh, LeBron James, uh, Steph Curry's at least on-court nemesis, mm-hmm. um, to call the president a bum on his Twitter page, mm-hmm. uh, which is new for LeBron. LeBron has been outspoken about uh, issues of race, but not particularly overtly political mm-hmm. uh, right. in terms of endorsing one candidate or another, but basically said this was, this was a poor... Uh, right. I'm paraphrasing now, but said this was not what a leader does. Um, uh, basically said Steph Curry had already said he wasn't going. You're uninviting somebody who's not going to come. Um, and uh, that tweet got over a million retweets, which is the most retweeted ath- wow. uh, thing by an athlete wow. ever. Um, that's one set of issues. Second to that, all th- through the last season, the former and maybe future NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick, mm-hmm. formerly of the uh, San Francisco 49ers, right. uh, has struggled to find employment. Some of his proponents argue because he took uh, the step of kneeling during the national anthem over the over part of the last season. And his explicit reason for doing this was to draw attention to the problem of police brutality, right. particularly against people of color inside the United States, mm-hmm. and to call for dialogue and communication and education about this. Um, the decision to kneel seems like a particularly premeditated choice on his part. He wasn't mm-hmm. uh, just exempting himself from uh, from the national anthem. There have been players in the past in other sports who have done this. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, I'm struggling with the name now. I believe it was Sharif Abdul-Rahim uh, okay. from the, and the NBA. Um, right. Formerly Chris Jackson. I remember him from college. But I remember him from the NBA. Oh, right, right. Uh, well, but um, he converted to Islam, and he always sat for the national anthem right. out, of a, out of a desire not to affiliate himself with a country over, over his faith. Mm-hmm. And so there, there have been other people who have sort of sat or, or been sure. quietly in the background, but but um, Kaepernick made the decision to sort of to kneel and, and to, to, um, to use one of his teammates' words who joined him in that. Um, this was sort of like putting themselves as a literal flag at half mast. Mm-hmm. Not that mm-hmm. they didn't respect the flag, but that they were trying to demonstrate that right, there was right. something profoundly wrong with the system the flag represented. Yep. All that to say, Donald Trump during the campaign was a vocal prop- a critic of mm-hmm. Colin Kaepernick and what he saw as a disrespecting of the American flag. And he continued this 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 criticism up through this last weekend when in a, a rally in Alabama, on behalf of Luther Strange, by the way, the special the, the primary in, in Alabama takes place today. Oh right, yeah. Definitely. So keep um, track of that. Luther Strange okay. versus Roy Moore. We should probably talk just a moment about that. Um, Donald Trump somehow, I'm not exactly sure how, got on the subject of NFL players. Right. And 
I'll keep the I'll keep the uh, podcast uh, PG. But thank you. Uh, yep. Um, <laughs> but in the context of his of his remarks, uh, referred to um, NFL players who were kneeling during the anthem as SOBs and said right. that the players wouldn't or that if the, the coaches ought to just fire them if they did that, right. which got to, which got enormous cheers. And Trump, right. as he often does, responded to the cheers. He's he's someone who plays. Right. Dramatically to the room, For sure. and uh, reiterated multiple times: fight, get him fired, fire those guys, fire him. Right, right. Um, this caused, as you might expect, um, a pretty strong counterreaction in the NFL. And mm-hmm. so, this last Sunday, uh, numerous teams and numerous players exhibited a variety of behaviors on the <laughs> NFL field. Right. Um, uh, some teams knelt in their entirety. Um, some teams locked arms and stood. While some of their teammates knelt, um, so there was sort of clearly trying to different kinds of signals being mm-hmm. sent. A couple of teams just stayed in the locker room, which I might add was the default behavior of all NFL teams pre nine eleven. NFL teams didn't stand for the national anthem ever until after nine eleven, when the Department of Defense yeah. began to pay, I think, twelve teams uh, to to actually do uh, <laughs> um, army related activities yeah. uh, during during the NFL games. Uh, and that included being out and present for the national anthem or some kind of flag ceremony. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the tradition kind of expanded across the league. The Notably, um, for, for meme purposes and mm-hmm. for, uh, for visuals, the Pittsburgh Steelers stayed entirely in their locker room except for one member of the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, Villanueva is his last name, who was, a, who was a, a military veteran who came out and stood by himself. That was a particularly poignant image during the mm-hmm. national anthem. Guys, I've yammered on now, but it's Trump versus the NFL and the NBA. Um, mm-hmm. He's not going to win on the field, but is he going to win in, in uh, public opinion? I mean, he's going to win with the people who already agree with him, right? I mean, like the, there's some people who think that, you know, that these athletes are sort of entitled and they're rich and they're, you know, they're – they're sort of biting the hand that feeds them. And so the, those people who have that kind of attitude are going to, you know, cheer the president as they did at the rally. Um, and I'm, you know, looking at my Facebook feed. I mean, I'm seeing some of them cheering right now. Right. Um, but I think in general, my suspicion is this doesn't help him in any way. It probably hurts him at the margins um, because I, I'm seeing a lot of reaction where it's people saying these are people expressing their um, legitimate right to peaceful protest. Um, this is sort of at the very heart of American sort of free expression. Um, and, you know, you want you want people to protest in ways that don't hurt other people. Um, and this is a, a classic way of doing that and doing that well. Right. And so um, I think that's you know, I think that's really interesting. I think it's also interesting that the NFL did respond so strongly. And I think overall kind of good for free expression with a president who does make these remarks that seem to really want to quash free expression in some important ways. Um, to come out strongly and say, you know what, even though Colin Kaepernick is not actually playing right now, because it turns out he's not an amazing quarterback, right, in some ways, right? Sure. Um, you know, we still affirm his right and the right of all such players um, to express themselves freely. And even if all the players didn't necessarily agree with, you know, the particular message Kaepernick was sending, I think they affirmed his um, right to send it. And I think that's that's important for American free expression. So. Um, I guess those those might be my quick reactions. I don't think it helps him, but I mean, in the you know the choir is going to still be loudly happy about what he's doing. I think. Okay, Mitch. 
Yeah, I I, I would generally uh, agree with that. I think, I mean, unfortunately, I think what what also gets uh, in play here, of course, is the issue of race itself. Of course. Um, You know, because, I mean, first of all, of course, the issue is is racial in its beginning. I mean, the fact, the reason that Kaepernick was kneeling to begin with was to bring attention to racial injustice. And the... And did this under Obama, by the way, of course. Right. Obama was president. Right. Yeah, which which, which in itself is, uh, in some ways, a, a... a poignant symbol, right? That mm-hmm. even though, you know, mm-hmm. Kaepernick is, is essentially pointing this out, even though we have, uh, you know, an African-American president, that doesn't mean that right. things are somehow magically all fixed. Right. Um, and so, and, and so, and so when we look at this, one of the things I, that, um, that, that is troubling about this, and I think that many people read into the president's uh, statements, and I think there may be um, some, some reason for this, is basically that the president is essentially saying, you know, that, that, uh, that African Americans should have no voice, and that when they express um, opinions in, in a public way that um, go, you know, that, that somehow run counter to, to, you know, to his views or his comfort, mm-hmm. then this is mm-hmm. not a legitimate uh, opinion or voice or voice to be heard. And many people are pointing back, you know, to this is not the first time the president has essentially made moves of this nature. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the um, you know, famously, of course, you know, the, uh, Trump made his entrance to politics, essentially questioning whether President Obama should have a voice um, and saying whether he should even be considered actually an American. Because he might not be an American Because he citizen. might not be an American right. citizen. And so in some ways, this simply is continuing uh, Trump's trend of essentially saying, you know, uh, you know, essentially African-Americans um, can't legitimately speak because they shouldn't have, have a voice. And I think there are some yeah. people but, who essentially are... Uh, you know, I think I think this plays well to sort of the underlying racial biases that we even saw in the last election. Okay, but let me let me take um, I'll, I'll, I'll take the counterpoint here with, with, with a, a few things that both of you have said. Mm-hmm. Um, because if, if, if this is about sports, then we got to make this like a Sunday morning sports show where somebody's got to disagree <laughs> with the other two. Mitch, I, I I hear your point, but Donald Trump may have been making a coded message about African Americans. Uh, and the right of voice that they have in, in public life, but that was not his explicit message. His explicit message, uh, fallacious though I would, I would argue that it was, was that Barack Obama was not a native-born uh, um, person in the United States, African American or not, and his um, dubious citizenship was the problem, not the color of his skin. Mm-hmm. So I, while that may be a coded message. Explicitly, he's it's more delineated than what you're suggesting. I I have trouble imagining that this has no effect on on Donald Trump. Now, it might be that his popularity is such and his public opinion about him is such that his numbers won't move dramatically as a consequence right. of this. But I can't imagine that it's just the choir that will support him on this and just the. Um, just his opponents that will that will rally behind uh, the league. We know, for example, that the N- the NFL tends to draw a more conservative audience right. than other sports. Now, the the modal uh, NBA fan, I should add, is a Democrat. Um, plenty of Democrats and plenty of Republicans like the like yeah. the NBA, like the NFL, but the NBA draws a more liberal fan base than the NFL does. The only sport in America, and I hesitate to call it a sport, um, <laughs> that draws a more conservative fan base than the NFL is NASCAR. And I only say it's not a sport because um, you're rooting for the driver, not the car. Um, 
but we can talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> well, in football, you're rooting for the player, not the helmet. But what's that? You're rooting for the player, not the helmet. Well, and it's I, equipment, I, right? I put yeah. I put auto racing. <laughs> I put auto racing in the same category as horse racing, which is to say, like I'm uh, very impressed by what those people do. Sure. Um, but they're not out there running against Usain Bolt. They're running. They're, they're sitting on top of a horse. And I'm sure that requires an enormous <laughs> amount of skill to do so. But you are not the primary mover in this situation. Uh, the human body is the primary mover in football and basketball and mm. baseball and gymnastics <laughs> and lots of other things, and that's what makes them sports. All right, um, fair enough. Oh, I got that off my chest. It was so much better. Um, As a South Carolinian, I want to disagree with you, but I'm just going to move on. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I'm not a NASCAR fan. Um, but at, at any rate, at any rate, sorry. Uh, the I, I I have to think that the NFL – by virtue of a number of activities that it has sh- – it is very popular. Mm-hmm. But it's declined slightly in popularity in the last few years. And I have to attribute that decline in popularity to a couple of things. One, just pure oversaturation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but, yeah. but also, I think it has misstepped uh, under Roger Goodell on the issue of, of chronic brain injuries. Mm-hmm. And for sure. uh, Aaron Hernandez, yeah. the former uh, patriot who is was in prison for murder, um, who, who who committed suicide while in prison, uh, during his autopsy was shown to have incredibly debilitating uh, chronic brain injury. Right. Yeah, um, right. That had to have contributed uh, to his behavior both on and off the field. Sure. So, and the NFL has, has done a very poor job of dealing with this mm-hmm. issue, and it might be an issue that kills the sport. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and yeah. the NFL might be in two de- in two generations where boxing is now. Yeah. yeah. That, that said, they have also had issues with things uh, like domestic violence mm-hmm. um, and, and the personal character of some of their players. Again, a small minority of their players mm-hmm. uh, making the rest of the teams or those of the players look bad. But we, we can't neglect that has become a major story. And, and often it's the response of the owners failing to do anything about the small right. minority of players. Or failing to sufficiently, you know make their teams, you know, uh, uh, a collection of, 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 yeah. of choir boys and angels uh, <laughs> whilst asking them to do violence to each other. Right. All that to say, I don't know that the NFL wields significant moral authority sufficient to, uh, to overwhelm what is admittedly an embattled president. Uh, the, no. This increase in the, in, the, in the realm of the pub, public interest, I think this looks like a pretty fair fight. And I think mm-hmm. that there are people who are lukewarm Trump supporters that probably have pretty strong feelings about what it means to disrespect the flag. And I think there are probably modest Trump opponents who likewise um, see his side of this issue and vice versa. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's true, and that's that's been, been my sense as well, which... Um, on, I, I've, I've, I've mixed feelings on one of the things that um, uh, I, uh, I think it was several years ago at this point, um, but the, uh, the publication, the American Conservative, ran an article uh, that really kind of uh, spoke to me in some in some ways on uh, basically on the NFL and the flag, and basically um, part of what part of what the author and I'm blanking on his name right now, but you can look at. It's basically called the NFL's nationalistic jingoism. Um, that's the title of the article. <laughs> um, but at any rate, um, 
uh, one of the things that that, uh, that this author, who is a Vietnam veteran, argues is that basically he finds it baffling that anyone finds it remotely patriotic for the NFL um, to be singing the anthem and waving flags and thanking veterans anyway, mm-hmm. um, simply because it's unclear to him, as, as, as he says, why a bunch of drunken louts waving um, <laughs> flags that say thank you is in any way honoring to the sacrifices and the death uh, and the very serious nature of war uh, and battle that these people are asked to do. Mm-hmm. And he says, he says, he says, why is this? Why is this moment of revelry and and uh, drinking and you know all this? Why does that have anything to do with the bloodshed and suffering and death um, that's involved in war and being a veteran? And so he sees, and so he sees it actually as the, the mere fact that the two are now joined um, as 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 a disrespectful aspect to to being a veteran. Um, and basically, I think I think part of that also, uh, in some ways, comes back then then to this issue. I mean, the very fact that we're in this position is because. We're trying to make, um, you know, is because is, is because we actually have this sport um, that somehow celebrates violence um, into something that is that is somehow um, respecting those who have who've sacrificed. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do, I, I do agree with that. Although the the way we got here makes some intuitive sense to me. Well, I guess and the other thing I should say is it's also it also becomes problematic especially because as you already mentioned this is also a marketing gimmick on the part of That's how we got here. Uh, yeah, that's how we got here. And so and so and so and so that in itself it makes it very crass. Yeah. Um, if it's if it's very crass in the terms that you know the reason we got here is because um, you know purely market manipulation mm-hmm. um, through money and advertising um, that really feels even deeper disrespect you know an even deeper disrespect to those who are sacrificing lives mm-hmm. so uh, if you want to read uh, this piece Mitch is referring to this is a piece in the American conservative by Philip Giraldi thank you um, <laughs> called the NFL's feel-good jingoism the subtitle is America's civic religion forgets the soldiers and its celebrations and to a certain extent I, I think this is the explanation America has a pretty thick corpus of civic religion. And sports figures prominently in our civic religion mm. because we are a um, ethnically diverse country, a politically pluralistic, pluralistic country, and a large country. We need some things that stretch across those mm-hmm. boundaries. And for a long time, professional sports has been one of those things. It's divisive. Mm-hmm. It induces uh, ethnic and, and regional rivalries, as anybody who's ever seen the Cowboys play the Patriots can attest to. Um, but the Buckeyes play Michigan? Well, that's actually serious. Um, yeah, I'm actually fair. a true believer of that religion. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we, we can talk. Actually, no. That's that, that 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 makes perfect sense. Okay, let me let me just um, can I just wax? I, I grew up in the little band of territory that was where the Ohio State the Ohio Michigan War took place. And oh, so yeah. um, this is You're in this the is, trenches. I'm in, well, quite literally. Uh, this is you know the war that took place that granted. Um, Ohio, Toledo, big win there, and uh, mm-hmm. granted uh, Michigan, the uh, Upper Peninsula from Wisconsin, who was an innocent bystander, but got the UP taken away from them. Poor Wisconsin. Uh, poor Wisconsin. And it, and it got Michigan closer to statehood more quickly, and it got Ohio very much closer to statehood very much more quickly. And ever since then, um, these two uh, these two uh, uh, universities have had a, had a, a lovely football <laughs> rivalry, uh, bordering on the absurd. Um, and uh, I look forward to continuing this <laughs> November. Anyway, um, but this, but we have these civic religions, these stories we tell ourselves, and it makes sense to me that in our most pugilistic sport, um, our mm-hmm. most violent sport, that we would also incorporate themes of 
brotherhood and unity and militarism. Mm-hmm. And I am struggling so hard, guys, to avoid lapsing into the George Carlin routine where he talks about the differences between baseball and football. But it's true. All of our football metaphors are militaristic right. and field generals and aerial assaults and bombing campaigns mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, uh, drives up the middle. And um, there's even a guy right. in the NFL named Tank. I mean, like, like it's, it, it, mm-hmm. it, it, it's mm-hmm. right there. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. And so... It makes sense to me that the, 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 in the wake of 9-11, especially when mm-hmm. football is America's most popular sport, that the, that the Department of Defense would see this as a marketing opportunity. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. maybe a little crass, but those two things were a natural fit for each other. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it becomes more poignant when NFL players take public stands, which our commentary – well. Colin Kaepernick to, uh, is stating explicitly that he's not critiquing the flag or even or even sort of the, his of patriotism, mm-hmm. per se. But he is critiquing a system in the United States that allows injustice to occur. Right. Mm-hmm. But his heart, but that's, that's a moral logic, which sits at odds with people who see this simply as a disrespecting of what it means to be American. Right. And really, these sides are talking past each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've come, we've come back to this, in this on this podcast on multiple occasions, but Jonathan Haidt's book, The Righteous Mind, talks about uh, the ways that different uh, groups of people, particularly liberals and conservatives, understand the world differently. And for conservatives, Kaepernick is violating the sanctity of the American uh, of, of American imagery, and he's insulting the United States. Uh, for his supporters, for liberals, he's talking about an issue of fairness. And an issue of equality, which is being violated, um, and he's providing essentially a, a, a fairly nonviolent commentary on that. Mm-hmm. Not fairly, a very nonviolent yeah. commentary on that. The other thing I was throwing there, Mitch actually brought this up when we were talking about it um, over lunch yesterday, but um, that I think makes the NFL particularly well suited for this sort of patriotic role. Um, I mean, I agree with all your point about the sort of military parts. I think that this is the most, you know, it is the most like war, right? Uh, much more so than baseball and basketball. There's a lot more about sort of matchups and individual one on one swimming, as opposed to well, yeah, <laughs> who cares about that, right? <laughs> hey, come on. Uh, but anyway, so but I think the other sport. thing that makes it very appropriate for this, but then also makes it more poignant when they protest, is the fact that it is a very American sport. I mean, it's American in a couple important ways. One is that you really don't have the this sport elsewhere other than Canada. Um, you have, a, you know, they have a slightly different version of football there. But outside of North America, you don't really play this sport. In fact, football right. means something very different, right? Where I grew up in Senegal, it means soccer, right, which is our American term for what everybody else calls football, which, a sport that, frankly, is more appropriately known as football since it involves the foot. You need the ball a lot more. But anyway. Does anyone call um, soccer besides the United States, Andy? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Okay. No, I think that's us because of the football thing. Um, so maybe the Canadians. I'm not sure what they they call it, actually. Not had that conversation. Uh, we should ask Fred. But anyway, so that's one reason, I think. But then the other reason is, in part because of that, um, the people who play the sport of American football um, are overwhelmingly American, right? Which is not as true of our other major sports. I mean, you get Good a point. lot more foreign players in the NBA, certainly. Certainly um, in, in baseball. baseball, you get a lot. I mean, because baseball is huge in Latin America, and so we get a lot of um, Latin American players coming. Um, and so it's it's less... You know, poignant in a way when when those sports, if those sports were to do that, um, precisely because a lot of the people there are not American citizens or, you know, are naturalized American citizens, but maybe are not, um, you know, we're not born and raised here, right? So it I think has more impact for that reason as well. 
uh, so yeah, so w- one of the things um, to, that you know, in thinking in thinking about this and thinking about um, football as sort of a, a you know civic religion um, type thing is. You know, particularly particularly when we're thinking when we when we're thinking about you know what what does it mean to respect the flag? And I think this is where you sort of get um, and you're talking about people talking past each other. You, you sort of you sort of get a question of what is what does it mean to respect the flag? And I think that was that's sort of a good right. a good a good uh, mm-hmm. thing to think about for for a couple of seconds. I mean, yeah. does does it mean you know? And I think a lot of it goes back to what you think the flag means. Um, and just getting back to sort of what, what these people talking past each other. On the one hand, there's sort of this you know nationalist sense of the flag means you know that it's a symbol of all of us together in some sense, um, and that's sort of the nationalistic sense that people have when they say, well, you know, you're disrespecting it if you um, you know don't don't honor it in certain ways. You know, mm-hmm. when it when it represents um, a nation in that sense. But then the other side basically says, well, no, the flag isn't necessarily a nationalistic symbol in that way, or to the extent that, that the United States is a nation. It's a nation in the sense that it stands up for certain values, and those. And I think that's where, really, in many ways, the, the conflict really strikes because mm-hmm. the values themselves actually are, you know, the values of free speech and right. the, about the right. values of protest. I mean, you know, the whole that the the basic idea is the nation started with a protest, throwing tea into a harbor, um, you know, and that wasn't particularly peaceful, yeah. and it wasn't particularly uh, honoring to to the rulers and to right. you know the idea of being British citizens, which the colonists were at that time, um, you know. So you know, so so you have these ideals of protest and speech and all, and uh, you know, and the rest. I mean, you know, the rights of trial and all, you know, sure. the Bill of Rights, um, religion and such. Um, but then, and and so and so then, and so I think that's really in some ways where the talking past comes in. What does it mean to honor the flag? Because because like you already said, Kaepernick would say he is honoring the flag. He and in a sense, he is being even being a patriot um, in what he's doing. He's and, honoring the spirit of the American experiment. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly what America is about. America is supposed to be a place where you can speak your mind, where you can um, engage in peaceful protest, and that's exa- and you know that's that's what he's doing. And you know, so to, to, to the extent that we think that's what our nation is, our nation is this place of these values. Um, then there's nothing more American than than what they did. It's the opposite of disrespecting the flag. It's honoring the flag, um, and so and so I think that's where you know in some ways if if we were really going to have a productive dialogue, I think that's where we need to think about what is it, what does it really mean you know once again to be American. And of course that's sure. um, you know the sort of the the you know oftentimes what our tension point is right now. Can I share some yeah. good news about this, guys? Sure. So the. Um, uh, there's really scant spotty polling on this uh, on this issue, um, but in the last fall, late last fall, um, a majority of Americans said that they disagreed with Colin Kaepernick's decision to kneel during the national anthem. But a majority of Americans said that they agreed with his right to do so, mm-hmm. which which suggests something about this spirit that mm-hmm. we that we do. In some way, at least, internalize this sense that there uh, that people have a right to um, to to free speech, to communicate uh, right. to communicate protest. That protest should be an enshrined American value. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's shifted much. I don't know if it's, and I don't know if it will shift in the wake of this. But you can bet someone's going to be asking those questions in the next few weeks. Yep. yep. Andy, were you going to say something? I missed it. Mm-hmm. Okay. No. So are we? Uh, the, the, hold on. I don't think this issue is done. Um, it'll be interesting to see if it escalates further. If if Trump decides this is a winning issue uh, for his presidency, I should mention his poll numbers have gone up slightly, but not statistically insignificantly 
over the last few last, over the last month really, uh, from a low of about thirty seven percent on average to about thirty nine percent now. So yeah, it's um he's not cracked forty, but he's but he's he's closer than he was. Right, um, and that's the right direction if you're the Trump administration. Um, what else is going on this week, guys? Big elections in Germany. Yeah. So um, the Germans just held their elections on Sunday. A lot of countries hold their w- elections on the weekend. makes it easier for people to vote. Imagine that. We can't do that because <laughs> Why you know, don't our constitution we? says because oh. it says Tuesday, yeah. um, which is really not a great <laughs> Why idea. Why did they do that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> They're all dead. We can't talk to them about it. Anyway, but they went with Tuesday, which help, does not help our voter turnout. It's one of the many reasons our voter turnout is usually lower. Um, the Germans had about 74% voter turnout, something like that, this last election, or 76. Um, anyway, but they had just had elections, so their um, longtime chancellor, Angela Merkel, who's been in since 2005, did win re-election, um, but her party's vote share declined by quite a lot. So the Germans have a parliamentary system, mm-hmm. which basically means you have to put together a majority in parliament to govern. Um, so her party will be by far the biggest party in parliament, but they're only going to have a little bit over a third of the seats. Um, and the re- reason for that is that there are six parties that will be sitting in Parliament. Um, so the way the German elections work, just to kind of give you the very quick version of this, is that they have a two two level system. So they have first past the post um, single member districts, just like us, where you vote for the person in your district and like the U.S. House of Representatives. Like the U.S. House of Representatives. So whoever wins the most votes um, gets elected to that seat. And the major parties, the, the Christian Democratic Party and their partner, the Christian Social Union, um, and then the Social Democrats on the other side, um, usually win almost all those seats. Um, and that was the same in this election. But there's only 299 of those seats. And then people vote for the party they like the best um, for their second vote. And then basically whatever percentages you get on that second list vote, um, they have a very complicated mathematical formula that I do not understand and thus will not try to explain um, (laughs) that figures out how to make the parliament look as closely like that vote as possible with the caveat that you have to get at least 5% of the vote nationally um, on that second sort of list vote. Um, to be represented in Parliament, right? Period. So basically, they they will actually increase the number of seats. You always have at least five hundred ninety eight seats, so two ninety nine for those single member districts, and then at least two ninety nine list seats. Um, but they will increase the number of seats as needed um, until you know they can have the numbers work out as perfectly as possible. Mm-hmm. So the projections are that this is going to be the largest Bundestag or um, German Parliament um, in history with seven hundred and nine members. So they're ordering wow. some new chairs. They're ordering new chairs. They're going to figure out where to squeeze those in. Um, well, I think the last one had like 631 or something like that. So it's a pretty big okay. increase. Um, and so the, what's interesting about this is there's two parties, one on the far left, one on the far right, both of whom have been totally uninterested in actually trying to govern with other parties um, in mm-hmm. coalition, um, who are both have done very well in this election. The party of the far right um, kind of rose from not nowhere. They almost made it to 5% this is last the AFD, time. The right? AFD. Um, but they won um, enough seats to be the third largest party in parliament parliament behind the two major parties. Um, so that creates really interesting dynamics. I mean, for one thing, in the last parliament, the two major parties governed together, um, the Christian Democrats and the Social Democrats, who are both basically centrist parties. Um, the Christian Democrats are center-right, Social Democrats center-left. Christian um, Democrats is Merkel's party. Right? Merkel's party, right. Yes. And, they won, and again, they won, you know, they overwhelmingly won the most seats. They won most of the first past the post. I think they won about, you know, 75, 80% of those seats. Um, but they're only going to have about 33% of the seats in the parliament as a whole. So it's really tricky, I mean, to see you know how they'll be able to govern in coalition. Um, the Social Democrats have said they're going to sit in the opposition this time. Basically, A, they're tired of being the junior partner to Merkel. They've done this two out of three times. What's the advantage, and, 
<clears throat> What's the advantage and disadvantage to being a junior partner in a coalition? Um, well, the advantage is you get to have some influence on government policy. You get some government ministerial positions, right? You get to run some of the their equivalent of cabinet posts. Um, but the downside is you're basically under the uh, you know a, pre a prime minister you don't really agree with, um, and you have to you're kind of stuck with her decisions. And when you run in the elections, I mean it's hard to position yourself as a real alternative because you've basically been this sort of junior partner, yes man kind of role. Um, and now you're trying to say, hey, you should trust us with the government instead. Um, so it's easier to sort of be distinctive in opposition, right? Um, but their other reason, which I think is a good reason for wanting to be in opposition, is they say we don't want the AFD to be the official opposition. So whoever serves mm -hmm. as the official opposition um, has certain privileges in parliament, um, and they don't want them in that role, which is kind of, a, I think, a fair point. Um, so we'll see what happens, but Merkel's got to try to figure out how to put together a coalition. Um, the Christian Democrats' favorite coalition partner, the Free Democrats, who are kind of a very free market, civil rights kind of party, um, did get back in Parliament, but they can't just govern alone those two. They would have to have a third party. And so we'll see if the Greens can sign on, if they can figure out how to get a coalition of those three. They're calling that the Jamaica Coalition because it looks like the Jamaican flag. Um, but <laughs> oh, okay. uh, with their color, like the party's official colors, like for their slogans. So anyway, any we'll chance, see what happens. I'm asking, I'm asking this sort of putatively. Any chance yeah. that uh, America would reach out to the AFD, to the far right? No, um, the AFD has already said they have zero interest okay. in doing this, and she has said she has zero interest in it. So I think the answer to that is definitely no. No, uh, I don't think that's why. So I mean, in the United States, we've seen our own uh, uh, resurgence of of right wing nationalism, mm -hmm. uh, both in and out of government. Right. Is that same thing happening in Germany? Yes. I mean, it seems like they're they're very much this is rising in part as a reaction to Merkel's immigration policies. So the FD started as a anti EU party, kind of like um, the United Kingdom Independent Party UKIP. over UKIP, yeah. right? Um, and so you know they started kind of as anti EU, but then with Merkel's sort of you know, pretty open um, immigration policies. They've kind of morphed into more of an anti-immigration party. And that seems to be where they're getting a lot of their support. They're also disproportionately getting more support in East Germany than West, or what was East Germany. Um, and you seem to have a lot of people there concerned about like, security issues. You know, so just reading an article, one woman's like, you know, I don't usually vote, but I can't vote for them because I mean, I, I open my door and I look out and I see headscarves, and then I go to the... Um, you know, train station, and I see groups of young men, and it's just like, I mean, there's a lot of fear, right? It seems like a lot of fear of people who don't look like us um, that's driving it. And so then, in that sense, it seems very much like kind of the far-right reactions in Britain, in France, and also in, in our own country. Yeah. Let me try and tie these two di slightly disparate topics together. Um, <laughs> in the United States, we have... I was going to say love hate, but in truth, it's a pretty lovey relationship <laughs> with our with our nationalistic symbols and our nationalism. Mm -hmm. And rarely do we see uh, large scale protests against sort of a sense of nationalism. Only when it veers towards injustice and oppression of those amongst us do we sort of see protests of, mm -hmm. of our of our nationalism. Uh, what about Germany? Is Germany still reeling with uh, the fallout of World War II? Are they still is is there a German, a German fear of, of excessive patriotism and nationalism that might exist in the United States. Um, I think to some extent, yes. I mean, certainly, there's more of an awareness of the problem of going down certain paths. I mean, so they still have very, you know, definite laws about you know, sort of using the term Nazi and, and you know, so how do you even 
think about that in the public realm. So that affects um, Godwin's law in, in Germany. What's that? That affects Godwin's law yeah, in Germany. <laughs> right. So I mean, it, um, so I think that that is a, a piece of the puzzle, which then in some ways makes this rise of the far right, which is saying, you know, a lot of very similar things. Right? I mean, this is not, I don't think, the second coming of the Nazi Party, but but there are you know some thematic similarities, right, with what they are, what they're saying, and who they're blaming, and so forth. Um, that makes it really interesting, right? That it's still tapping into something and getting a pretty significant part of the vote. Um, so, yeah, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see where this goes. I mean, they're not going to be in government. They're not going to be driving, you know, sort of German policy. I don't really expect, however Merkel ends up governing, I don't expect her policies to shift very wildly. Um, there might be some concessions depending on who her, you know, who her coalition partners are. But again, her coalition partners are going to be more standard political parties. It's not going to be the left and it's not going to be the AFD. Um, but, you know, it, it, we'll see. I mean, like, then the question is, how well does she succeed? And what does the next election look like, right? How does the AFD use the very large megaphone they've been given? I mean, they have 94 seats in this parliament. So right. they're going to have a, they're going to have a, you know, a chance to make their case on the big stage. So we'll see what happens. How, um, I, um, as I continue to think about these two, these two topics, um, Miracle is in charge of the Christian Democrat Mm-hmm. Party, how Christian is the Christian Democratic Party? Uh, not very. So okay. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it sort of grew out of Christian Democratic movements, late nineteenth, early twentieth century, where basically you have Catholics starting to get involved in politics, um, pushing back against sort of secularization efforts, um, and so they did start out as a real Christian Democratic Party, thinking about how do you bring sort of Christian values into the political realm and sort of incorporate those with. Um, sort of these critiques of sort of capitalist excessiveness in the late 19th, early 20th century during the Industrial Revolution and the kind of fallout from that. Um, so it used to be very Christian. It is not very Christian or in any way really conservative in the way we think about in U.S. terms. Mm-hmm. It, it, the Their partner, Christian Social Union, which is a smaller version of the party that operates in Bavaria, is more socially conservative. And so they would look a little bit more like what we think of as conservative in this country. Okay. Um, but they are very much the sort of junior partner. I mean, they just are the, the Bavarian expression. So you could think about it in this way. I mean, it's a little like how the parties are different in, you know, different parts of our country, right? I mean, how, you know, the Republicans are going to be much more liberal in New York, right, than they're going to be in South Carolina, or the Democrats are going to be much more conservative in Texas than they're going to be in Massachusetts, right? Um, so it's a little bit like that kind of distinction. But I think there's, yeah, I mean, neither of them really look like the Republicans and the Christian Democrats especially, you know. They're really more of a centrist party. Um, and so, you know, it's one of the articles I was reading about this said, you know, Merkel and Obama got on very well. I mean, there was not mm. a ton of daylight between their way of seeing sort of things, right? Whereas um, she clearly does not like Donald Trump. She clearly is not comfortable with Donald Trump. I mean, she's, you know, she's better at putting on her game face and, than he is and not sort of being too obvious about that. But right. it's not hard to read between the lines. Like, she does not, you know, she is not pleased with the decision we made. Um, about our president, and um, and she clearly got on much better with his predecessor than she does with him. Can I ask uh, um, a really unfair question, Andy? Oh, go of for the, it. She, she's entering her fourth term now. Yes, that's a long time. Yep. Is she the greatest politician of her generation? Um, I don't know. I mean, she's been very successful. She's been a survivor. On the other hand, I think the, the opposition party has really struggled to articulate um, a plausible alternative. Um, they've been forced, she's managed to persuade them and force them into grand coalitions twice, which has really made them, their, their opposition hard. 
Um, and she's actually not the only fourth term like uh, premier that um, Germany's had in recent years. I mean, you can look back just a few years before her to Helmut Kohl, who just recently passed away. Um, Helmut Kohl was prime minister or chancellor of Germany for um, 16 years, and he was the one who actually um, unified West and East Germany and kind of took them through that rather difficult process. Um, so, yeah, I'd say it's too soon to call that, but, I mean, she certainly has been a survivor. She's been pretty successful. Um, it'll be interesting to see how she navigates this one, where she, her party, you know, again, got significantly dinged. They lost a lot of support, um, both to the AFD, um, but also to, you know, the Free Democrats and others. So, you know, they, they dropped, I mean, by most estimates, over a million votes um, from the last time around. That's that's a lot. And so we'll see what that does yeah. to her legacy. I'm, from the, on the back of the envelope, sort of uh, thinking through here, I can't think of a... I can't think that uh, Shinzo Abe is a more mm-hmm. impressive politician than Merkel. I can't think that uh, Cameron or Blair is a more impressive politician mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. than Merkel. I can't think that uh, Hollande or um, no, certainly not Hollande. Yeah, four <laughs> percent uh, approval. Yeah, um, and and I and I honestly, as I think about the yeah. most recent American presidents, um, right. Obama and Bush mm-hmm. and Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, yeah, she pay, might well be. Uh, um, Putin is probably her best uh, competitor uh-huh. in terms of who's been a dominant <laughs> world figure for this. Is it ge- fair to be an era. authoritarian? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the authoritarians have advantage because they, because they can kill their opponents. Um, That's right. <laughs> Angela Merkel has to actually play by rules that she can't entirely make up. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Good point. No, I think. I mean, I think that's probably why I left case. off a few other yeah. uh, prominent, uh, right, long-time right. leaders, but. <laughs> Uh, Ayatollah Khamenei. Well, okay, you you went there, but yeah, yeah, sure, 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 sure. Oh, but but who's had more influence in the world system, America yeah. or Putin? Yeah, who shaped the world more Ooh. in their image? That's a good question. Mm-hmm. I mean, because Putin definitely has a big impact, and and he can make bigger splashes. On the other hand, I mean, she has had a very impressive role in certainly you know guiding the EU and shaping the, the EU's policies through a time of real crisis. Um, I think it's still an open question whether it works, right? Whether whether what she's done will be turn out well, um, and whether the British sort of you know Brexit is a, a you know sort of foretaste of more such exits, right? And if it if that happens, then her legacy looks less good. But yeah. but I think she's you know in many ways been very successful. I mean, um, she you know certainly has been very hated in some of the countries. Where she's, you know, helped impose these austere policies. I mean, she's not particularly welcome in Greece, for example. The Greeks do not like her, right? I mean, like they were, you know, when she was imposing this stuff, they were talking about like the Fourth Reich and the oppressive oppression they were undergoing and so forth. I mean, I was sympathetic with Merkel; I thought she was right, but, but you know, I think that you know she is not she's not appreciated there for sure. Correct. So they would not they would not like your assessment of her. <laughs> Mitch, what do you think? Uh, Fifty years from now, hundred years from now, will we say that this was the era of Merkel or the era of Putin? Uh, you are asking the wrong person um, <laughs> on these kinds of questions. That's right. That's uh, right. For you, I need to go back three hundred years ago. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. For me, it's yeah. It's either deep in the past or or, yeah. or it's or, or, or pretty much stops at the oceans. There'd be monsters past the oceans. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah. I mean, just I mean, from my from my late, I mean, genuinely late. Well, I was telling Andy this. Um, I only had ever had one comparative <laughs> politics class in my entire education. This is not okay, um, man. Yeah, and, and, and that class was actually meant for non-majors. 
Um, wait, wait, I, wait. You do comparative politics for jocks? What did you do? Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 so what it was the way OSU, and I don't know if they're still structured this way, but basically the program was structured, this was for undergrad too, so it wasn't a grad class. Okay. Um, was uh, you were supposed to have a capstone class, and it was supposed to be in something that wasn't your major. So okay. basically it was supposed to be like an intense, the, the idea was it would be a very intense introduction to another discipline. And okay. the idea was you're a senior, this is your last quarter, right. you can take it, like you can do this. And, but there was no enforcement mechanism to prevent you from taking the same class from your own discipline. Oh. And so you could take and so, and so basically, of course, if you had already done this for the last four years, it was painfully easy Yeah. because you already knew all this stuff. And, you know, yeah. even if it was in a field where I hadn't taken any other classes compared to politics, I was, you know, I, I knew what I was doing. Um, and do you remember who taught that class? I, it was a grad student. I don't remember her okay. name. Um, <laughs> I, I will say, uh, and uh, it was not a particularly good class. Just in so it's probably general. better we don't mention her name. So yeah, so I'm not going to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, well, anyway, no, yeah, no, yeah, no, that's no. true. No. So <laughs> yeah, we're not going there. <laughs> anyway, uh, so so at any rate, we're not that kind of podcast. Yeah. So anyway, so at any rate, though, uh, all that is to say, you know, it's, I, I was I was a particularly bad person, so <laughs> because okay. I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do, um, but it was painfully easy. And all that is to say, I have basically zero comparative um, chops mm. at all, other than to say, you know, yeah. I mean, I know obviously I know who these people are. Um, I know just enough to like compare. You've heard of this guy, Putin. Yeah, I've heard of this guy. He's over there. I, I hear he buys Facebook he does ads. Stuff. He, ha- he, um, has, he has he has a couple of dragons and an army. He sails yeah, across right. the ocean. He rides yeah, bears. That's true. He does yeah, he does ride yeah. bears. That's that's, that's that's the best part. <laughs> yep. Yep. So. Oh goodness! Wow. All right. Well, uh, in, that, in that case, then can I ask you about a, a, something completely different? Well, uh, you can. Oh, okay. But I was going to say we should we should we should we should at some point bring it back to um, to, to things happening on this continent that perhaps involve world affairs and think about Trump's speech in North Korea. Well, yeah. that was we where I was going to go. I was going <laughs> to give you the option. Uh, uh, I was going to give you the option to either be sick or dead. Um, and so, and you and you picked dead. We'll come back to sick. Oh dear. All uh, right. But um, uh, tr- Donald Trump um, gave a. Memorable speech at uh, the uh, United Nations General Assembly. Uh, the UNGA is happens once a year, and it, mm-hmm. it convenes um, a lot of world leaders at the UN in New York. Um, it's one of the few times that actual world leaders speak at the UN. Most of the time, the public speaking at the UN is handled by uh, the permanent representatives to the UN. Um, but uh, Donald Trump spoke, and... It was an, a fairly unusual speech, but what, uh, did you have a chance to watch it? Only, only clips. I haven't okay. seen the whole thing. Rocket um, Man. <laughs> the, well, Rocket Man will be the enduring phrase from the speech. <laughs> he, he referred to Kim Jong Un as as Rocket Man, um, and, and said, said he, he shouldn't said, have rockets. He said that he was on a suicide mission. <laughs> um, and this story continues uh, in the wake of it. Um, uh, North the North Koreans issued a response, referring to Donald Trump as a deranged uh, dotard. Um, which caused a whole bunch of Americans to run their dictionaries to figure out what a dotard was, which is excellent. I'm all for mo- vocabulary acquisition. <laughs> it's nice use of the vocabulary by the Korean. To which Donald Trump replied, I know you are, but what am I? Right. Uh, pretty close. <laughs> no, um, what, uh, um, he, he, he actually doubled down on the rocket man. He's now calling him Rocket Boy. Uh, which is both which is both silly and emasculating. That's right. Um, Next will be rocket infant. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> rocket brat. I, I, I predict there rocket brat. Right. That's nice. Uh, rocket embryo. But uh, all that is, and and, and um, the North Korean uh, defense uh, minister has said that Donald Trump's provocative speech has amounts to a declaration of war. 
uh, which is a little bit, someone needs to remind him that we're in fact still technically at war with North Korea. Uh, we sent an armistice with <laughs> them right, to end have... the Korean War, but um, mm. we've never formally acceded to any kind of peace terms. So right. we're simply it's just a long, 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 long cessation of hostilities uh, with, uh, with the North Koreans. Which we ended, by the way, in part because Eisenhower threatened to nuke them. So oh. there's that. And now we're back. <laughs> yes. Um, we, I, I have I have I have hot IR thoughts on this, but what you should um, you should you should you are the IR guys. you are the so IR sure guy. Your hot thoughts. Um, the I, the North Korea scholars that is the scholars of, of North Korea's policies and regime that I am most um, that I, that I follow most closely that I have a lot of respect for still see all of this as a giant triple decker with cheese and bacon mm. nothing burger. Um, the North Koreans do not want uh, a military exchange with the United States. No. Um, because although they could cause significant damage to the United States now, they do have nuclear weapons. We should act as if they have nuclear weapons. And that could mm-hmm. cause unfathomable damage to the American West Coast. It would utterly cause North Korea to cease to exist. Right. And we could literally unlike, nuke them out of existence. I mean, what's that? We could literally nuke them out of existence if we yes. wanted to do that. I mean, and, and we don't. We don't. Um, I, at least we hope we don't. We right? don't for all kinds of reasons. I, I don't think that fits our national char- national character. No. I really don't no. think that fits the character even of our president, who, when it comes to foreign right. policy, despite all of his bluster and bravado, has shown himself to be rather cautious mm-hmm. when it comes mm-hmm. to actual foreign policy actions. Right. His biggest, most militaristic move to this point has been an airstrike in Syria, which was very modest. Mm-hmm. Um, his troop increase in Afghanistan was paltry. Mm-hmm. And he is a compare. Oh, he, he's a big talker and a comparatively modest actor when it comes to international affairs. I don't mm-hmm. believe he wants to start a nuclear war with, no. with, with, with uh, Kim. So... I am somewhat more optimistic. Of course, I tend towards optimism anyway. Mm-hmm. But I'm somewhat more optimistic about the likelihood that we engage in, nu- in, in a nuclear war with North Korea. Guys, am I being too optimistic here? Are you more worried about this? Are you, are you stocking up on water in your basements? <laughs> um, well, I don't have a basement. but um, I do have a basement, but no. Sure <laughs> not. Um, I, guess, I guess I'm not. And, and, and again, this is my non-IR um, take. I've been slightly more worried about it, I guess. Um, just in seeing things ramp up, it feels it feels like one of those things where like the likelihood of nuclear war has gone from you know practically zero um, to somewhere in the realm of possibility, okay. and that and that feels more scary. Even if it's still very small, like even if right. the percentage chance of it has sure. just moved from like you know point zero 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 one to to one, like right. you know percent, that feels like a lot. And given the drastic consequences of that, that that seems like a really bad thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think I agree. I mean, like, I, I don't, I don't think it's very high. Um, I, th- I don't think it's quite zero. Um, but I, I think it's pretty low. I think it's not in anyone's interest to do that. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like that's what Trump would do, even though he talks big. Um, he doesn't really act much. I agree with you. Um, and so I would be very surprised to see us go down that path. But unfortunately, that's not quite the same as seeing, saying I see no possibility of it. Uh, which is, you know, anytime there's a possibility of nuclear war, that's a problem. 
um, because we really shouldn't go there. I mean, it's it's just too damaging, um, and it has too many fallout effects, not just on the, the people fallout you're killing, effects, which are really? bad enough, fallout but, effects. but all the others. What's that? Fallout effects, really? Fallout yeah, effects? Really. <laughs> literally. Good use of literally. If it was, if, if, if I was the kind of person who thought that Trump was playing five-dimensional chess here, I... <laughs> I don't think he is. No, I think no. he's just. I think he's just personally offended by Kim Jong Un and yeah. the North Korean regime. Yeah. But I, if I were to think that, I wonder if there's some utility in being so um, saber rattling when it comes to our um, trying to get the North, the South Koreans and the Japanese to get on the same page with us. Mm-hmm. Um, the South Koreans have definitely wanted to be a little bit more conciliatory towards North Korea. Sure. Whereas the Japanese have been more in line with the United States and being mm-hmm. a little bit more bellicose. Right. And I wonder if this is, if this might be one way to sort of try to, to, to leverage the South Koreans more mm-hmm. into a more militaristic position. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I can't see any real utility out of doing this. Mm-hmm. In, any, in, in, no. in some real ways, it bolsters the North Korean regime. To have an American, right. uh, an American enemy to rail against. Well, and and we're treating them. I mean, again, we're, we are the greatest power on earth right now as, as a country, right? Mm-hmm. And we're treating them as essentially an equal, right? And yeah. and they're not really, and and they don't, and they don't have. I mean, like let's be honest, Kim Jong Un does not have the legitimacy Donald Trump has as the leader of his people. He's president because his father was, because his grandfather was, and because he oppresses people, and if they get in his way, he kills them. Mm-hmm. Um, and Donald Trump, for all his many failings, is the democratically elected president of this country whose legitimacy comes from the fact that he won an election with over 300 electoral votes, right? And um, and that's a difference. So we shouldn't treat him as if he were some sort of equally legitimate player. He's not. Um, but he's being, by the way that Trump is talking about him, he's being given that sort of credibility. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you label him Rocket Man just as you label Hillary Crooked Hillary or, you know, whoever else you're labeling, right? Lion Ted and so on and so forth. <laughs> uh, well, man, I want Lion Ted. Um, go down the Lion Ted path. We should, we should probably <laughs> wrap up because I think we've gone always here, but we should maybe touch on the can Alabama I, Senate before we... Yeah, so we, 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 we've, we fixed death. Can we fix, uh, can we fix sickness now? Um, <laughs> is that the Alabama Senate race? What's that? Is that the Alabama Senate race? Oh, I was actually thinking Graham Cassidy. Oh, that's dead. So. Oh, so sickness is dead. Uh, yeah. Well, it's, I mean, Susan Collins has come out and said no. Right. So, right. so, so basically, three. I mean, the short version is Graham Cassidy well, has ended the then, same so. way as the other one, which yeah. is yeah. that they didn't, apparently they didn't fix any of the real issues. And so I'm, I'm left just sort of scratching my head as to what Graham and Cassidy thought they were doing. If you, I mean, what you, what you have to go do is get the, the four people on board who weren't on board or three people. And they clearly didn't do that. And so I'm. I don't understand what the point of this was. This whole exercise. Was I, I mean, of time. basically, it was a desperation. It seemed like. I mean, this was. was. I think. I think. I think they were hoping that maybe enough. Uh, you know, that basically those those four. Although with McCain, I mean, his incentives are clearly no longer. Um, you know, electorally but, yeah. centered. Um, and and if you think right. about Suzanne Collins, you know, maybe they were they were hoping that she would feel the electoral pressure that you have to do something. Um, and the, but and not so in the, Maine. I mean, again, like that's just well, a miscalculation. Right. Exactly. I mean. They, they, they don't. They don't have the electorates that would cause that. Right. I, like to me, it's like if you're going to fix yep. this, right? You have to sit down with the people who didn't vote last time and say, okay, right. so what has to change for you to get on board? And, and McCain essentially said, is I could get behind this bill, but I still have a procedural issue, which is what he said last time. And right. like, you know, so it's like you spent all this time and effort. I mean, but you didn't even begin to address it. I mean, it doesn't look like anybody who didn't support it last time right. is going to support it this time. Yep. No, I think I think so, that's right. I mean, I, but this, it's sort of they're running out on the procedural. Oh yeah, I get tactic, that. And so that's that's the 
the reason in the end. But okay, so, a, but it feels like the ultimate sort of like hail mary pass to come back to our football analogies, right? right? Yeah. Um, and but you spoke about you the, the, the Notre Dame guy, right? Well, yes. <laughs> right. We know something about hail mary passes. All they right, work well, better for let us. Let me ask than this: as, as, so, so now, Mitch, I'm the, I'm the clueless American politics oh, guy, boy. right? So when do I next hear about the repeal of Obamacare? Next year. Pro- it's going to be interesting. I actually, I, I, I think you, again, well, no, I think it's, I think, I think it's going to be really interesting to hear how, um, Republicans respond to this, um, it come the next election cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, because if they continue to talk about repeal, the obvious rejoinder is you had the chance to right. do it and you didn't. Um, and so, yeah, so I think, I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, is this, is, is what kind of route do they take? I mean, I mean, obviously, the reason that they're going to want to keep doing it is perhaps because um, you know is because of Trump, and Trump mm-hmm. is going to want to continue to go after this, perhaps. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the Republicans do from here. I think what I think where they go is really um, an open question right now because I because I'm not sure this continues to be a winning issue. You know, the Affordable Care Act um, was very unpopular. Well, no, I should very might be an exaggeration, but it did it, it did was not it, it was it was unpopular while, while uh, President Obama was president, um, and it now is more popular than not. And so, you know, if you just is the case often for for large scale social service programs, right? right. Exactly. Like yeah. Social Security now is far more popular than it was when it first passed. Right. 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 Absolutely. Right. And so right. and so we're sort of seeing that now. And so you know, is this yeah. you know, do the Republicans continue to calculate that the you know is 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 is, is Obama enough of a boogeyman? Um, for yeah. for conservatives to, to and the further his presidency becomes, I, drains away, yeah. the less of a looking man. Right, becomes. exactly. And so and so, I'm just wondering, like, yeah. when this stops. I, it does seem like it's going to. It has an expiration date, and it whether does, that's yeah. whether that's the, the next yeah. election cycle yeah. or the cycle after that, or yeah. you know, but it seems like that's coming. And so, uh, yeah. So so, I think I think this. You know, the the real question now is going to be how is how is this administered. Um, you know, do you do you continue to increase the subsidies or not? You know, and things yeah. like that. I think it's more procedural in some ways. Right. Something inter- interesting to pay attention to is Obamacare is being, as you almost as won't surprise you, is being marketed much less now than it was under the right. Obama administration. Sure. And then you should see how much marketing plays a role in enrollment figures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I think I think that's true, and that's in fact I think one of the. Criticisms, uh, you know, the people have said is, you know, we're no longer, you know, we're no longer seeing, you know, pe- people want to make criticisms of the Affordable Care Act, um, but it's no longer sort of a fair fight because if you have somebody who's not administering it well um, in office, and it seems like, you know, lowering the spending, lowering the services right. that go towards it, um, then it's no longer a fair evaluation. You know, basically, we're not seeing it at its full strength and what it could be if it were administered well. Um, and I think that's fair, but even with that. Um, you know, it's it still seems to be fairly popular, and people seem to like a lot of the provisions. And, and, and you know, and that's actually in some ways interesting. That that was Rand Paul's reason for voting no. Is basically he didn't want to vote for this particular repeal effort because he said you're really not repealing it, right? right? You know, this is just a smokescreen. You're just um, kicking the can down. To the right, states. you're just kicking the can down to the states, and you're leaving. You know, what I believe his figure was: you're leaving 75 percent of the legislation intact, mm-hmm. um, and somehow calling that repeal. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So it's, it, I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how much longer this, this is there, especially since the Republicans don't have another plan. What's far more interesting is actually the Democrats, um, and particularly Bernie Sanders, who's recently been advocating yeah, more strongly for the single payer system. I mean, so once yeah. again, you have the, the real policy innovation on this seems to definitely be on the on the left right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and until the Republicans can come up with a workable um, set of policies that actually might might benefit regular people for the better um it seems like that you know this is a no-win 
yeah. for them. Well, the problem point. is Republicans fundamentally disagree on what to do. I mean, like yeah. some of them want it to be completely gone. They want to go back to 2010. Others say there were real issues. You need to fix them, some of those. Yeah. And they can't simply can't agree on how to do that. And, you know, yeah. it wasn't even clear that Graham Cassidy would have passed the House, right? I mean, even right. if they pass it in the Senate. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think this might well have been their last real shot at doing this. Um I think the House is going to be even harder to navigate after 2018, whether the Democrats get a majority or not. The right. Republican majority will almost certainly be smaller. Yeah. Um, and, you know, best case scenario for the Republicans. So, yeah, I would be surprised. I mean, I think, you know, the, the more likely I would I'll go out on a limb and say I think the more likely scenario is that when Obamacare is replaced, it is by single payer. I think that's years away. Yeah. Um, but I think we're you know, that's where yeah. most when you say years, most democracies 2020 or do you mean 2040? Yeah, well, yeah, 2021 at the earliest, right? Yeah. But but probably farther than that. Yeah, probably farther than that. Probably somewhere in there. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. I, mean, I, guess, I, would, I would guess by 2040 we have single payer. Oh, yeah, if I had to guess, sure. I mean, just because that's that's where democracies end up moving. Yeah. And that's, frankly, I mean, in retrospect, I'm, I'm surprised that Obama didn't try harder for that. But I don't know. Well, and they, they had the majority, but they I don't know if they could have gotten their party on board for right. that at that point. I think it felt like a bridge too far. Um, but it's less of a it's less of a when distance a from Obamacare. Came, this is a separate issue. But when when Obama came into office in two thousand eight, he didn't have yet a majority of Democrats who supported gay marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're right. How's that relevant to this? Well, I'm just saying, like that the, the Democratic You're Party things can change quite as much yeah. as yeah. the Republican Party has shifted yeah. to the right. The Democrat Party has shifted to the left. Oh, sure, yeah. right, yeah. quite a bit. Well, one, right. one of the things and I'll just right. sort of throw sure. this out is, you know, as much as you know, we say, well, the Republicans disagree and things like that. There are interesting policy innovations elsewhere that I've been reading about and thinking a little bit about recently in healthcare. Yeah. I mean, for example, Australia does not have a single payer system. Right. Um, right. They have a very market centered system, but they have certain policies that um, you know haven't even, at least from what I can see, have even been seriously considered here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And those seem like winners for Republicans, but they have, seem to have no interest in um, exploring those or being creative or thinking about no. these things. So no. until they do, I, I don't. I don't see any any. No. And, and the thing is, like, like, and, like, let's be honest, they wasted six years in the opposition. Yeah, like, absolutely. They talked about no, 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 no to Obamacare, and all the time, I'm sitting there thinking, and I'm saying, look, I'm I'm sympathetic to your critique. I think there's a ton of problems with Obamacare. I think it's it's got a lot of really big flaws, but you have to come up with something right. to govern with. Yeah. And, it, and yeah, saying no absolutely. is fine when you're in the opposition, but what you should be doing in the opposition is spending time thinking about what do we do when we're not in the opposition when we're governing. Mm-hmm. And they they did a really bad job of that. Yeah. And we're now we're seeing the sort of really bad fruit of their wasted time in opposition, of not yeah. coming up with constructive alternatives. Yeah. So here we are. <laughs> well, gents, uh, any predictions in the uh, Alabama primary? Roy Moore versus Luther Strange? I think it's going to be Roy Moore. Yeah. Um, that's uh, There's uh, some scant polling data to suggest that he has momentum a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, uh, you know, state polling is always a little bit dicey. So Especially for special election. Especially elections. for a special election. So I, I don't want to yeah. put too much stock in any of those numbers. Um, but nonetheless, he does seem to have the edge. And not only that, he seems to have, um, you know, Luther Strange. And interestingly, even though he's been endorsed by um, Trump, is now the establishment. And... So, you know, which is sort of right. shows how vacuous and empty these terms are, <laughs> um, right. you know, and meaningless, you know, in, in that sense, meaningless. Um, but uh, nonetheless, like he's the one who's now the, sort of inside the beltway. Roy Moore has always been an outsider. Roy Moore has always been very popular in Alabama. He's somebody who has been elected despite the fact that he has been removed, removed. From, removed from office. Right. He continues to come back and get reelected. And um, so, yeah, this just seems like a natural move for him um, to be mm-hmm. elected to this 
mm-hmm. um, to, you know, to Senate now. Um, and of course, you know, the other thing that I think is in his favor is the fact that Mitch McConnell was against him. Yep. <laughs> so Mitch yeah. McConnell, of course, is a brilliant, uh, in many ways, leader of the Senate, given the Senate's constraints for leadership. Right. Um, you know, McConnell has been extremely effective uh, in a lot of measures of effectiveness of majority leaders. He is extremely effective as, as a leader, but he's very unappreciated by the electorate. Right. Um, you know, everyone hates him despite the fact that he's very good at his job. And, uh, Mm-hmm. So, you know, and so basically, you know, the fact that he is, you know, that Mitch McConnell sees even less chance of moving any kind of agenda forward if he loses somebody who's at least somewhat loyal to him, like Luther sure. Strange, um, you know, that seems to be a reason for, you know, the, Mitch McConnell's endorsement is a kiss of death. And so, mm. you know, Luther Strange has that. So Roy Moore will be it. Yeah, I think I agree. I mean, it's, it's uncertain. But if I had to guess, I'd say Roy Moore. Okay. Well, speaking of someone... Uh, speaking for, as a fellow Moore, um, I am uh, I am not allowed to speak a Grandpa word. Roy. I'm not, I'm not allowed to to, uh, to speak uh, a word against a Roy Moore, but I will just say this: uh, he's most famous for most Americans for his his uh, ongoing fights with the Supreme Court uh, to place uh, the Ten Commandments or, or uh, statues of the Ten Commandments in and around uh, the uh, the uh, Alabama courthouse. And if uh, if he's if he wins this primary, that, that by the way, if winning the primary is as good as winning the Senate seat because the, the Alabama is not oh, going to yeah. elect a Democrat, no, right. um, no matter who wins this. So this is this no. is this is the senatorial election. Yeah, that could uh, I I would love to see him on the ju- judiciary committee. <laughs> I think that would just be quite a bit of fun. Yep. Oh, yeah. All right, uh, we got to go. We're getting silly, um, gentlemen. I think we need to go find ourselves with red shirt and sing ourselves some tunes. It's true. Um, uh, those of you who are listening to us, thank you so much. Uh, we love doing this, and we hope that you get something out of listening to it. On behalf of my colleagues here at Bethel University, this is Chris Moore saying you've been listening to Election Shock Therapy. Go Royals. <laughs> <laughs>